you there that. So uh, we're going to start with my new series uh, this week or this week or tomorrow, uh, next Sunday, I should say, um, which will be the uh, series on the blood. And, uh, you know, God has released his most powerful weapon into the world, and it's not the atomic bomb. It's the blood of Jesus. Amen. And so Jesus has come to give us his blood, and it's the only thing that can save humanity. Uh, from generation to generation, the blood never loses its power to save us. Can you say amen? amen. So we're looking at this uh, uh, really important uh, topic this morning. And a relative of mine that you may have heard of, uh, Andrew Murray, um, with, uh, 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 my name is Robert Murray, in, in, uh, for those of you who don't know. But, um, so it's my claim to fame. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he had some really wonderful things to say. One of the things he said was, the blood is given a unique place in Scripture from the very beginning to the end of Revelation. Uh, clearly, no single theme from Genesis to Revelation occupies a more important place than the blood. Amen. Amen. And so as we begin the study uh, that's going to last the two weeks, I think we're going to be studying one of the most important aspects of our Christian faith. And uh, I, I think if we are to understand the precious blood is the heart of the gospel. It's fundamental to our Christian walk. If we're going to know how to walk in victory and go from victory to victory, that triumph and everything, and receive all that God has for us, we have to know and understand the significance and the power of the blood. Amen? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I don't think that there is a more important study in the Scriptures than the blood of Jesus. And so I want you to just read a couple of verses to you. And the first one I just want to make reference to is uh, Leviticus 17.11. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Did you know that's the most accurate scientific statement ever written about the blood? You know, because uh, it, it says it's the blood that carries on all the life processes in our body. Uh, it's the blood that causes growth, uh, builds new cells, uh, grows bone and flesh, stores fat. I think my, my blood is in rebellion. I'm storing a bit of fat. <laughs> um, but it, it, the blood stores the fat, makes hair grow and nails grow. It's the blood that uh, feeds and supports all the organs of the body. It's the blood that repairs the body. It's the blood that clots, wounds, and grows new flesh, new skin, and even new nerves. It's the blood that fights disease. Let's just summarize that because it's an awful amount of good things that happen in the blood. Amen. You know, science can confirm what the Bible says about the blood. The blood gives life. It causes growth, healing, and protection, and it all comes from the blood. This is exactly what the scriptures teach, except God said it first thousands of years before the scientists. They're only catching up with God now. So uh, let's just ask God's blessing upon the word and just ask his blessing. I don't think I did that this morning, did I? So we're, we're going to do that right now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the awesome sacrifice that you've given your son. Lord, there's no greater sacrifice, as Janet said, Lord, than, than the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we pray that as, you, as we go through the word this morning, that you will give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of your word, that you would impart to us, Lord, not only the words of, of a simple man, but Lord, that we would receive from the heart of God, the very word of the Lord uh, to us and make it relevant to our lives. 
And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. I want to start this morning by looking at the fact that the, the, the blood has the power to forgive sins. Because I know that we all, uh, even though I've been serving the Lord for some 40, 50, maybe, 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 yeah, I'm not going to tell you how long, but a while, you know, um, uh, serving God for a while, I, I still struggle with sin. From time to time, I still struggle from sin. I'm not perfect. I know you look at me and you think, oh, that can't be true. But if you ask me, she'll tell you. Hallelujah. So I want to look at the, the, the power of the blood to cleanse us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, you know it so well. Let me just read it for you. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Hallelujah. Let's first understand what sin does, and then we'll understand what the blood does. I was listening to Dr. Charles Stanley this week, and uh, he, he said, sin has deceived you, or you would not keep on doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I thought that's a, that's a pretty fair statement. Sin has deceived us, uh, otherwise we would not keep on doing what we do. You know, deception is at work when we think we're okay before God. Everything's all right. God loves me. And, uh, you know, God understands, you know, I'm, I'm just a human after all. God understands all these things. And, uh, we just keep on doing the things that we know we ought not to be doing. And that's the uh, disobeying God. And as a result of that, we are deceived into thinking that we're an exception to the laws of God and the consequences of sin. That's deception. We try to justify it by saying, so, well, I'm only human. God, this is a favorite one of Christians. God knows my heart, you know, and it seems like that's the great coverall because God knows my heart. You know, I'm not perfect, but God knows my heart. I've got some very terrible news for you. If that's your attitude. You know, uh, it, it's shocking news, in fact, I, and it's this. God's not interested in your heart. Sorry, I'm not making any friends here this morning. <laughs> God's not interested. In when he rebuked the churches in the book of Revelation, uh, he said, God never once said anything about their heart. He said, I know, in every case, I know your works. Uh, seven times, he said, I know your works. To the seven churches, I know your works. I know your works. What you do is far more important than your heart. You will be judged by your actions and not your intentions, your heart. And we need to be very careful with, with our walk uh, before the Lord. You know, God explained what, what the, the, the danger of sin was. And it was simply this. He, he gave it to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah actually showed us that, you know, when, when we walk in holiness, we can draw into very close and deep personal into uh, uh, fellowship with the Lord. But how many of you know Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says that because your sins and your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and he has hidden his face before you. And so that's what sin does. Sin actually separates us from God, and we need to constantly come under the blood and, and recognize that God has really uh, ministered to us in, in, in what Christ has done. But sin, uh, for the average person, breaks the Father's heart because he's too holy to look upon it. So sin destroys our fellowship and our communion with our heavenly father and a broken hearted God looks away from creation that he loves because of sin. 
Sin causes a breach in our relationship. We separate a distance, no longer close. You know, I think we can get an understanding if you've ever known somebody uh, who has lost a child as a pastor, I've actually had to stand side by side with two people as their, their child uh, dies. And it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Uh, there's nothing you can say to comfort them. The, the wounds are so deep, so grievous, and so, uh, so profound that nothing you say um, is going to, to heal the hurt in, in their heart. They're really devastated by it. And I think that this was the pain that Jesus was experiencing when uh, he looked over Jerusalem in, in Luke 13 and verse 34. Jesus said these words. And see, see if you can see his heart. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers a chicks under a roost, but you were not willing. I think Jesus' heart was breaking over the people who didn't really know him and that he longed for, for them to come close. You know? I think this is why God inspired Paul to write Romans 3.25. It was out of, out of the abundance of the overflow of his heart because he loved his people. And he writes in, in Romans 3.25 and he says, For God sent, and I'm reading from the Living Bible, For God sent Christ Jesus to, make, to take the punishment of our sins and to end all God's anger against us. He used Christ's blood and our faith as a means of saving us from wrath. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He used Christ's blood in our faith as a means of saving us from punishment. You know, the love of the Father and the Son it just is incomprehensible. It's so profound and so deep. And I think that, that because of that love, that Jesus voluntarily uh, laid down his life and, and uh, performed the greatest sacrifice ever known to mankind. Uh, you know, nobody was compelling Jesus to go to the cross. He was motivated by his love for his creation. He willingly and voluntarily laid down his life and, and suffered the incredible punishment because only blood is the remedy for sin. Blood is the only remedy for sin. So Jesus was our sin bearer. Jesus Christ died for us, the just for the unjust. The Son of God gave his life for sinners that you and I might be made the righteousness of God. And if we're living in the covenant and walking in the covenant, we are walking in that righteousness. And we, there's a difference between uh, 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 imputed righteousness and experiential righteousness. Imputed righteousness is where God gives you a right standing no matter what, what you do. God says you are declared righteous. Uh, we, we, but, you know, we don't have, always walk in that righteousness, do we? And so there's, there's an aspect where there's imputed righteousness and then there's experiential righteousness. And sometimes when we, uh, when we are you know, not careful, we can uh, allow sin into life. And we just need to recognize that Jesus has paid for our sins. That's the blessing of the covenant. You know, we don't need to go about groveling and asking God to, to forgive us again. Just realize that what Jesus did was a one-time, once-and-for-all sacrifice that forever justifies us. But experientially, we need to come to the Lord from time to time and say, Lord, I just want to, I want to get close to you again. I want to draw close to you because I love you. And it's out of that love relationship that we spend time in God's uh, presence.
So Jesus was our sin bearer. I love that image. Jesus is our sin bearer. Jesus Christ died for us, the just for the unjust. The Son of God gave his life for sinners like you and I. He loves us so much that God himself will take our punishment for sins. The grace of God. Oh, the grace of God. You know, grace does not condone sin. Grace does not ignore sin. Grace does not excuse sin. Grace gives us a way out of sin. Amen. That's the beauty of grace. It gives us a way out. When we, we understand what Jesus has done for us, we are excused. We, we receive grace. It's his blood that took away our sin. The blood restores and reconciles us to the Father. Thank God for the blood. Amen. Because we can have communion and fellowship and intimacy and oneness with God once again. So the blood has given us peace with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. That is such a beautiful thing. That's where Jesus came to die. He died that we might be brought into this loving relationship, that we might never be, uh, feel guilty or, or, or unworthy again because of what he has done for us. Our love relationship with the Lord is completely healed by the blood. I want to say to you, there is no sin greater than the blood of Jesus. Nothing you can do, nothing you have done is greater than the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes and cleanses and makes us whiter than the snow, regardless of what you have done. Isn't that wonderful news? That is wonderful. God says, there's nothing you've done, there's nothing you can do that I can't forgive, that I won't uh, uh, cover with my blood. So there's, the blood is more powerful than any sin because it washes us whiter than the snow. The blood has removed every hindrance and every obstacle to our fellowship. With the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In the words of the old hymn, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for your blood. It cost him everything. He died to, that we might be forgiven. He died that we might be declared righteous. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The blood of Christ. Shed to save us will never lose its power. The blood started flowing back in the book of Genesis, didn't it? Mm -hmm. And uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were guilty, naked, and ashamed, the Bible says. Unlike this modern generation who are guilty, often naked, and totally unashamed. You know, how are we ever going to fix this set of uh, problems? I don't know. I don't know if you picked up a radio uh, news bulletin I heard this week and it said that children as young as five years old are actually um, putting uh, photographs of themselves, either partially nude or completely nude. From five years old and older, uh, they're putting that online. Isn't that a pedophile's playground? I mean, how have websites been allowed to do this kind of thing? How are we ever going to turn things around when, when the generations are going down the, this route of, of, of sinful behavior? We've just got to go back to the Garden of Eden. You're going to see what Jesus did, what God did. He came with freshly slaughtered animal skins to Adam and Eve. And the principle was established, which you find in Hebrews 9.22. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. That means there is no forgiveness. There has to be the shedding of blood for there to be forgiveness. And Jesus was the one who willingly 
This is what, what I find so incredible. The willingness. I think Jesus is sometimes more willing to go to the cross than we are sometimes to go to the prayer meeting or to, to some other thing that we're supposed to do. Jesus went willingly to the cross. So that principle uh, uh, was uh, established that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What a terrible price to pray. It really speaks about the principle of substitutionary sacrifice. That's what really happened in the Garden of Eden. The principle of substitution, a life for a life. The animals that were innocent were killed because of Adam and Eve's sin. The innocent suffer for the guilty. You know, I think that at that particular time, when God showed up with, with, with the freshly stored animal skins, that he actually preached the gospel to Adam and Eve. He told them about the blood covenant. He told them that, that something had died because of what they had done wrong. And way back in the Garden of Eden, God was foreshadowing the, 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 the story of redemption that would unfold uh, finally at Calvary many thousands of years later. But God explained to them, the principle of substitution explained to them uh, about the, the death and the blood covering that was important. So how do we know that? How do we get any inkling? Because it says in Hebrews 11, doesn't it? Hebrews 11, 4, that, that, that by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. And uh, if you go to Genesis 4, 4, you'll see that, that uh, uh, Abel offered the, 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 the blood of, of sheep, uh, from, uh, a sheep from his flock. From his flock. And so uh, he offered a blood sacrifice. And God was pleased with his sacrifice because he offered that. So how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So Abel was able to offer a blood sacrifice because he had heard the word of God either directly from God himself or it had been passed down as the word of God from his parents, Adam and Eve. That's why he was able to offer and a more excellent sacrifice. And the lesson was that when they saw the, 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 the killed animal, the, the sacrificial animal, that their hearts would be grieved, that they would understand the terrible nature of sin, how awful God sees sin, that something beautiful in his creation has to die because of our wickedness. And so it becomes a, a lesson that we need to learn. We have to learn to hate our sin. We are to hate our sin and grieve over the death of the innocent substitute so that we would never do it again, so that we become truly repentant. When you see that you've got to take a, a young sheep, you've all seen the pictures of, of young sheep in New Zealand. I mean, you can't escape it. But these little sheep running down the road, and you think, I've got to cut its throat. How horrific. How terrible. And that's supposed to say, hey, this is, this is an abomination. This is not ordinary. This is something that God did to shock Adam and Eve. He said, something has to die because of what you've done. And so we need to learn to hate our sin. If, if, if I've honest, that's been one of the biggest struggles of my life because I love my sin. Am I the only terrible heathen in this place? Yeah. So we've got to learn to hate our sin and loathe our sin with a passion, with everything that's in us. We've got to start to hate our sin. I want to draw your attention to something that Jesus did. Um, and it, uh, uh, it's written in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And God the Father is speaking. He says, unto the Son, he saith, 
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Boy, did the Jehovah's Witnesses choke on that one. The Father says that the Son is it's God's throne. Listen to it again. But unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, he's calling the Son God, uh, is established forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast, and he's speaking about Jesus, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, before we go, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And God did something in response to Christ's heart attitude. And we need to look at it very carefully and understand what he's saying. It says, thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God even thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. God gave Jesus a name that's above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Why was he exalted? Because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. My prayer over the last couple of years is, God, help me to hate my sin. Help me to turn from all that's corrupt and perverted and wrong. Because I want to be like Jesus. I know that if we do that, if we honor the Lord and hate our sin, God will exalt us. He will lift us up if we begin to truly hate our sin. But that has been one of the real battles in my life, learning to hate my sin. It's not an easy thing to do. Because we all have a natural proclivity, a natural bent or... um, Something we, we, we attempted. We need, by God's grace, the, the power to learn to hate and loathe it. And if we will do that, God will exalt us. God will bless us abundantly. The first really detailed teaching about the blood is found in the Passover. It's referenced in Genesis that we've just looked at um, when Adam and Eve sinned. But the first detailed explanation uh, is found in, in the Passover. In, in the days gone by, I spent many times teaching about the Passover uh, and all that it entails. And so, but and I'm not going to do that this morning, but I want to just give you a highlight um, of one of the principles, an application of the Passover. But just let me give it, let me summarize it for those of you who are not completely familiar with it. Um, the summary of the Passover is that it's really the feast that celebrates Israel's deliverance from Egypt. Remember, Israel was in bondage. They'd be taken slaves into Egypt, and they were being treated abysmally. And God was really upset by the way the Egyptians were, were treating them. They were killing their children. They were, they were whipping them and, and this incredible hard taskmaster. And so God eventually, uh, after numerous times of saying to, to Pharaoh, let my people go, uh, God said, enough. And the, the ten plagues came upon Egypt. And the final plague, the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn in Egypt. And God instructed the Israelites, he had a plan for them, to place the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and on uh, uh, and the lintels of the door. And when, when, the, when the angel of death came in, he was to go into every house. But where he saw the blood on the lintel and the doorposts, he passed over. Hence the name Passover, that's how God's name, the angel or the destroyer, uh, the worker of death, saw the blood and passed over. 
So for us in the New Testament, what's that mean? The blood of Jesus is applied to us, not to the doorpost, but to our life who have faith in Christ. We have the blood of Jesus covering us. Can you say amen? Amen. This allows the sins of the same person to be covered by the righteousness of God so that that God's judgment doesn't fall upon us. we are now set free. because That's one of the reasons I, I, I strongly believe that we don't go through the tribulation. Because if the tribulation is part of our punishment, then what Christ did at the cross was insufficient. Yes. And it was not insufficient. Can I have an amen? amen. You see, if, 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 if Jesus did everything for the, at the cross, then we don't need to fear the tribulation. The tribulation is for the unbelievers. And so uh, the, the church will be in glory. What a wonderful time. Hallelujah. We'll be at the married supper of the Lamb. But, you know, uh, so new Christians celebrate Passover as our deliverance from Satan and the world. Because of what Jesus has done, you and I can walk and live righteous lives, filled with the Holy Spirit, moving and flowing in the power of God. That's why we can celebrate Passover, because of what Jesus sacrificed. Hallelujah. So, this is really what the true Passover is all about. The first one in Egypt and all the reenactments on, on, on the, the, the feast days uh, were just a, a, a shadow and a type uh, pointing us to what Jesus would do thousands of years later and show us that what Jesus has done is that Jesus really is the true Passover lamb. I know you understand that Jesus is our Passover lamb, but think about what that means to us, that the destroyer, the angel of death, must pass over us. Hallelujah. We have eternal life. Folks, we, we are going to live in glory favor. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. The body might stop, but the spirit, the real man, you and I, what really makes us who we are, is going to be in God's eternal presence. Hallelujah. And the wonder and the glory of that. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So because of the blood of the Lamb, uh, the destroyer, the angel of death must prosper. You know, the Bible says that no weapon fashioned against us shall prosper. You know, it says also in 1 John 3, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. You and I can live righteously because of what Jesus did at Calvary. We do not need to succumb to sin. I'm going to say a little bit more about that in, in a little while, but it, it's, a, it's a beautiful truth that... Uh, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I love what uh, Dr. Pater said. And uh, Dr. Pater said this, the devil is now eternally defeated by the blood of the lamb and the work of Christ. (sighs) Eternally defeated. I started thinking, man, eternally defeated. You know what that means? The devil has no counterattack. There's no second front from him. There's no uh, do-overs. You know, he's stuck. Uh, He's really history. There's no comebacks for the devil. The devil is conquered and vanquished forever, eternally defeated. Hallelujah! I love it. Eternally defeated. There's no comeback for the devil. Isaiah, when he when he began to understand this, he he wrote about this in in, in Isaiah 14, verse 6, speaking about the devil. He said, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake kingdoms? Is this the one who made the, the, the world a wilderness and, and destroyed cities and destroyer cities? Is this him? You've got to be kidding me. 
See, the devil is a defeated foe. The only power that the devil has now, before he's thrown into the bottomless pit, is the power of deception. He has no power over us. He can deceive us. And that's the power that he has. But don't let him fool you. He is a defeated foe. And everyone say, You see, because of the blood of Jesus, because of the work of Christ, the devil is defeated. That's why James says, Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Do you know what that word flee means? It means to run in terror. He puts his tail between his legs and he goes as fast as he can to get away. When you come against him, because you're submitted unto the Lord. And it's why? Because of the sacrifice of Christ and because of the blood of Jesus. We have power and authority over him. I want to tell you, sometimes we, we go through times and life can be really difficult. Am I speaking to anybody here this morning? You know, life can be a real pain. I got up yesterday morning and um, I woke I woke up and it was like, oh, the world was just black. You know, and, and everything I did the, the whole day, I went through the, this black and depressing. Nothing made me happy, and I, I was I was miserable. You ever had the blues? Yeah, well, that's what I was experiencing. You know, and I'm I'm. I'm going around and, 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 you know, I'm moping around. And he said, oh, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, I don't know. I'm tired. Life's miserable, you know. And then it hit me. You silly boy. <laughs> I was being given a lesson by the devil. He was making me miserable. And I thought, no, enough. And I turned that around immediately. And I started to bleed the blood over my life. I swear to say, Lord, I'm no longer going to be, I'm no longer going to be blue. I'm going to live in the blood. I'm claiming the blood. And you know what? Something amazing happened. I just started to burn right up. I thought, I'm going to give the devil a hiding. That may be even happier. I thought, this is wonderful. I'll make him free from me. I'll make him run. And you know, my whole day turned around. And why, why is that possible? Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of the blood of the Lamb, he has defeated the power of the devil. I want to give you, I spent many times many times preaching about the, the Day of Atonement, but I just want to zero in on just one little nugget from the Day of Atonement, if you'll let me. And I, I think I've never shared this particular aspect because there's so much other things to talk about when you talk about the Day of Atonement. But I, again, for, for those... Uh, who, who may need a refresher or have never come across it. The Day of Atonement uh, was the day when, when the nation sought God's forgiveness. And uh, they would go into the tabernacle. They, they would be wandering in the wilderness. They didn't have a temple. And uh, they had this tent that they put up. And it was basically made of three courts. There was the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And the high priest, the big Bona chief, uh, he would go in one day a year, into the Holy of Holies and uh, put blood on the mercy seat. And I want to just read you one verse that's taking place about the holy. Uh, high priest has gone into the Holy of Holies and he's got the blood. And verse uh, 14 of Leviticus 16 says this, and I'm reading it from the Amplified. He shall take of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger on the front the east side of the mercy seat. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. 
interesting little detail, but there's so much to be uh, uh, deduced from this great teaching on atonement that this little fact that the blood was sprinkled seven times is overlooked. And so I, I, this is a whole message in itself. I have a message uh, the, the seven times uh, that Jesus shed his blood. But I'm just going to give you a highlight uh, of the seven different places where Jesus shed his blood. And so the high priest sprinkling blood on the mercy seat seven times actually foreshadows Jesus' sacrifice and the seven times he shed his blood to redeem us. And as we begin to understand every place where Jesus shed his blood, there is an incredible, life-changing experience waiting for you to receive the redemptive blessings of Jesus' shed blood. And so we're going to look at just a few of them this morning. In fact, we're going to look at all seven of them, uh, but, but I'll be quick, I promise you. And so every time the high priest sprinkled that blood seven times, it was foreshadowing what Christ would do at the cross. I want to challenge you, if you meditate on these things, if you'll, if you'll think about them throughout the week, there are a couple of things that are going to happen. You're going to start to receive revelation. You're going to grow in God. You will be encouraged and blessed as you begin to study about the blood of Jesus. There's no more fascinating nor powerful study than the blood of Jesus. I can't wait to get to next week, but I have to. But uh, I, I, I want you to just understand that if, you know, you're not going to get all of this just by simply listening to me. But if you're hungry, if you want things of God, begin to meditate on some of these things. The first place Jesus shed his blood was where? In the Garden of Gethsemane, wasn't it? Remember, um, it was uh, uh, Jesus had just said to his disciples, he said, pray that you enter not into temptation. And he went to, as Jenna pointed out, and, and what did the disciples do? They, they were throwing zeds at the ceiling. They fell asleep. And so uh, he'd come back and, and he was like, pray that you don't enter into temptation. And, and Jesus was struggling. You know, Jesus was struggling at that point. You know why? He was struggling with the temptation about not going to the cross. He understood what was awaiting him just around the corner. And he, he was in agony. He was in turmoil. He was under pressure. And he began to sweat great drops of blood because he was being tempted to walk away from him. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But eventually, Jesus comes and he prays the third time and he says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Hallelujah. Jesus overcame temptation in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's that mean for you? What's the redemptive blessing for, for you and I? Well, that we can now overcome temptation. We are no longer victims that are forced to do the devil's will. We have a choice. We can say like Jesus, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. And I can live free from temptation. That is such a beautiful truth. Folks, we need to walk in that truth. We can walk in victory and power and the glory of God, and we'll enter into close communion and fellowship with the Lord. So it symbolizes our victory over temptation, our ability to choose God's will and not our own. It delivers us even from the devil's temptation so that you and I can say, not my will, but thine be done, Lord. In the Garden of Eden, Adam succumbed to temptation, didn't he? But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, the second Adam, 
overcame temptation so that you and I can be set free from every temptation. You know, we don't need to, to succumb like Adam did because Jesus has made a way, made it possible for us to overcome any and all temptation. And everyone said, Amen. Oh, you're terrifying the devil a little bit. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Now the devil's on the run. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So Jesus, the second Adam, overcame temptation on our behalf so that we could walk in holiness and love. The second time he shed his blood was in Pilate's court. Yeah, under the Petronian, uh, Praetorian guard, that was the imperial guard of Rome. They were particularly vicious, and they beat and they punched, and they kicked Christ. They ripped out his beard. You know, Dr. Jacobs points out that Jesus was a Nazarite, and that no razor had ever come near his head. Therefore, he would have had a very long beard. Uh, he would have had long hair. Imagine what those barbarians did, ripping Jesus' beard out from the roots. His blood would have been shed as a result of that. In fact, Isaiah actually predicted this when he wrote about it in Isaiah 52 and verse 14. It said, and I'm reading it from the Amplified again. It said, for many, the servant of God became the object of horror. Many were astonished at him. His face and his whole appearance were marred more than any man's. And his form beyond that of the sons of men. But just as many were astonished at him. It was an astonishing sight. They were horrified that anybody could look so disfigured and so marred. His image was, was beaten beyond recognition that he looked, he didn't even look like, like a man, some versions say. And so, you know, it's a real difficult thing. Why did Jesus allow that? That his appearance and his image was so disfigured. He was a bleeding, bloody mess. Symbolically, Christ came to restore our image and our identity, to reveal who we are in God. You know, today there are people that are so confused about the image, they don't know whether they're male or female. They are confused. They don't know who they are, why they were created, what's going on. And they're living in this darkness. But Jesus came and he, he experienced all this so that our image and our identity might be revealed. What, are, what is our image and our identity? We are not in Christ fallen sinners. We are the children of the king. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. Folks, that's who we are. We are not sinners, but we are child of the king. And we are made the righteousness of God in Christ. And so it's wonderful news that we can understand that who we are in Christ. We can find our identity. We can find our self-worth. And we can find our meaning because of what Jesus suffered at the cross. The Son of Man, uh, or the Son of God, became the Son of Men. That the sons of men might become the sons of God. I love that. That's what Jesus did for us. The third place Jesus bled was when the crown of thorns was forced upon his head and driven Home. Man, if you've ever seen, I, I come from Africa and it's, you know, you, you find these, these thorns, uh, they're called Christ thorn. Uh, you find them all over Africa going up towards the, the Middle East. Um, and the, the thorns can be huge. They can be like uh, two and a half inches uh, in length. And uh, when, when you make a crown of thorns like that, it's unbelievable. Um, and when that's driven into your skull, 
uh, he bleed. So what was the redemptive blessing that God was trying to give us? He was trying to give us peace of mind. Peace of mind. Freedom from torment, worry, stress. Freedom from pressure and mental anxiety, anguish. God offers us peace. Do you remember what Isaiah the prophet said? Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. But you know, in Christ, we have an even greater peace than that. We have an even greater peace than the perfect peace of the Old Testament. We have a peace that passes all understanding. It passes reason. It passes logic. In the midst of the storm, we can be peaceful because Jesus experienced the crown of thorns to bring us peace and rest and tranquility to our heart and to ourselves. A peace that passes all understanding is a real rest and tranquility because Jesus will the crown of thorns. The fourth place that Jesus said his blood was at the whipping post. Pilate had Jesus scourged with the cat of nine tails. Remember, that was embedded with bone and, and bits of iron and when, when you were whipped it, it embedded itself into your flesh and when they ripped it from you, your flesh was torn and uh, the, the blood was flown, uh, flowed from the people died. They, they, they called that the half death because so many people died from just being scourged. Okay, so what does Isaiah tell us about that as he's looking forward to the cross? Isaiah 53, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Hallelujah. That's the redemptive blessing that God has come to give. Healing for our body. His body was broken so that we could be made whole. I want to tell you that there is no sickness, no disease that, that is, uh, is impossible for God to heal. Every sickness and every disease can be healed in Jesus Christ. You know, I remember when, when AIDS first came out, there was no cure. There was nothing that could be done. And for a long time, it just if you got AIDS, you died. And then we started to hear testimonies of how God healed people with AIDS and healed them of cancer and healed them of, of you name it, God is able to heal. And that's the redemptive blessing that Jesus experienced at the cross. All we need to do is lay hold of what God has done for us and say, Lord, I'm believing for my healing. And fight the good fight of faith until it manifests. Because Jesus is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that he At the cross, his hands were nailed to the cross. He paid the price for all our sinful acts, for all the things that we've done wrong. We've committed all those terrible things. Jesus was nailed. That huge Roman nail was driven into his hands. But you know, Dr. Meyer says it goes beyond even that. It goes beyond the fact that Jesus' just hands were nailed. It actually symbolizes that Jesus came to restore our prosperity. He came to restore our, so that everything we put our hands to may prosper. That's why he was nailed in the hands, so that we could prosper. Remember what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That was the purpose. I love Deuteronomy 30 and verse 9, and I'm reading it from the NASB. It says, the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly. Anybody like the sound of that? Hallelujah. He said, I'll prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hands. His hands were nailed to redeem our prosperity. Penultimately, 
Jesus was uh, nailed in the feet. The second last blessing, he was nailed in the feet. To all the simple and wicked places that we've gone. But again, it's so much more than just that. The redemptive blessing symbolizes dominion and authority. You remember in the Old Testament, Jesus said, well, God said, every place on which the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given that to you. Again, in Luke 10, 19, God says, Behold, I give unto you the power to tread in serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Did you notice tread, tread are both in those verses? Our feet, where is the devil? He's under our feet. Jesus' feet were nailed to restore our authority and our dominion so that we could go anywhere and rule and reign in his name. Can you, are you excited? We can go anywhere and rule and reign in his name because he restored our dominion and our right to rule. The last place that Jesus uh, uh, shed his blood was at the cross. Again, blood flowed from Blood and water flowed from his side when the centurion put the, the spear in and pierced uh, his heart. Now, there, there are a couple of ideas that uh, came out of this as I was studying it, but this is the one I, I chose to, to share. And if you go back to the Garden of Eden, remember when God opened Adam's side, he removed a rib to create Adam's wife on the cross. The second Adam, Jesus, had his side open so that God could bring forth the church, his wife, his bride. Hallelujah. Isn't God awesome? God is amazing. God is amazing. Hallelujah. See, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest sprinkled that blood on seven times on the mercy seat, foreshadowing the seven times that Jesus was shed his blood and bring forth all the riches these wonderful redemptive blessings. I close with this verse. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he hath made us kings and priests unto our God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Can you say amen? God is good. Boy. Praise God. Well, don't miss next week because I think yeah, I'm excited about next week. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Father, we recognize that our sin separates us experientially from you, not Lord, from a governmental way, because Lord, your sacrifice endures forever. And Lord, just out of an act of love and devotion to you, we want to make sure that we are hating our sin and turning our back on our evil ways. We thank you, Lord, that the true meaning of the Passover is that, Lord, our sins are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus and that judgment has passed from us. And so, Lord, we, we are so grateful to you for that. Help us, Lord, to, to live lives that are pleasing in your sight. Live lives, Lord, that are honoring, righteous, holy, pure in every way. And so, Father, I pray that, that we would just meditate on, on the blood this week, that we would be encouraged, uh, Lord, by all 
that you have done this marvelous sacrifice. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless each and every one of us. Lord, thank you that you have forgiven us our sins. And Lord, this morning, we want to receive that forgiveness. Lord, we don't want to go out of here feeling guilty, condemned in any way, shape, fashion, or form. We are the righteousness of God. We have been redeemed. Lord, you are our true Passover lamb. Lord, we are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so, Father, we thank you that you've made us kings and priests. Help us to rule and reign over the affairs of our life. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.